This is the audio-only version of MedTwitter This Week. If you're interested in seeing the full video, please check us out on YouTube, Periscope, or Twitter. Let's hit it. Hey there, welcome to MedTwitter This Week, where I, Chris the Chew Man Chew, bring you my favorite tweets of the week and hopefully do a deep dive. So to do that, I'm going to show you my first tweet, my first pick. So here we have from Adam Rodman. This was five days ago. Today is the 29th and recording, uh, recording on the 29th and this is from the 24th. It says, question for the Bayesian curious, inspired by um, JL Barry MD with made up simplified numbers. A diagnostic test has a positive likelihood ratio of five, a positive 30% post-test probability. The second different test has a positive likelihood ratio of five as well. If both are positive, how much does the post-test probability change? Of course, you can see here, I, I clicked likelihood of ratios don't work that way. So, you know, I couldn't figure out a better way to, to discuss this than to bring on Adam Rodman. Hey, Adam, how are you doing? Hi, Chris. I am so excited to be here. I'm great. Actually, this is really messed up of me. But right before, while we were talking, I got a text that I'm getting called in tomorrow as backup for uh, COVID-19 patients, which I shouldn't be excited about. But that means I have to shave. Oh, I was wondering about that. I've been off. This is, you know, this is ACP season. I was supposed to be speaking. Um, I'm hanging out with you guys in Los Angeles and speaking. So I had like two weeks off and I'm very hirsute. So the beard grew and quit from my COVID time. So now it's got to go again. <laughs> All right. So um, I, well, first I want to say, was I right my, with my answer? Yes, you were right with your answer. Okay. Cute. Most people were right, which was nice. All right. So, I mean, I think there, there are two ways of thinking of how you would answer this. One is you could just, you would think, oh, does it make just sense that like add each post-test probability together? Or the other way is I think um, Charlie Gilhan uh, in, in, your, in the thread, he, he showed um, the nomogram and helped conceptualize it that way where he did, he did the first likelihood ratio, which I think, you know, increased, showed your post-test probability and then used your post-test probability as your pre-test probability for the second time you run it and gets you an even better post-test probability. But, you know, I think that's one way of thinking about it, but I, it doesn't seem right to me. Do you want to explain that a little bit? Yeah. Uh, do you want me to talk a little about likelihood ratios are? Yes, I'd love that. Yeah, so, um, well, we can even talk about what, why I said Bayesian and curious. So the idea of, of Bayes' theorem is this idea of conditional probability. You perform a test, which specifically called them test characteristics, uh, a likelihood ratio. I, I won't go into all the math, but essentially a likelihood ratio gives you a rough estimation of how your pretest probability will change given a positive test or a positive exam finding. Those are what they're usually done for, but they're done for historical things as well, thus spitting out a post-test probability. Um, and the, you, you calculate a likelihood ratio from a, a, you know, a good old-fashioned two-by-two table. Um, you, don't need a, you don't need another formula, but it's related to, it, it involves both the specificity and the sensitivity of the test. Um, so these come up on the wards all the time, and I actually was inspired to write this because my residents, actually one of, one of the chiefs, wrote me this really nice email about a case that they were doing. Um, a heart failure case in which a patient had all these findings. They had like a positive abdominal jugular reflux. Uh, uh, they had, I think, um, 
what else did they have? They had like no lower extremity edema. They had no cardiomegaly seen on the X-ray. And the question was like, well, how how do you use all these different likelihood ratios that we make for these different tests? Can you first is the additive approach? Can you just add up the different probabilities? The second is what Charlie advocated, the multiplicative approach. Can I just feed in a test, get a new post-test probability, make that my new pretest probability, and continue to uh, continue to cycle up there? Or like, how does this work? Is, is that is that good for background? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, and it's. I think it's relevant because there's. Have you ever used any of these like evidence-based medicine calculators that do this for you? I'm doing air quotes. Um, I, I think I've played around with them, but I haven't. I haven't logged. Do, can you explain? Are they online? Or are they on like an app or something like that? Yeah, there's there's apps. So there's a um, there's like a subset of these Bayesian uh, probability calculators where, for example, you take a condition, heart failure. And you go through and you click, you say, what is my pretest probability? And you go through and you click what all the exam findings are. And then it uses the approach that, that Charlie used, this multiplicative approach to calculate, to spit out a post-test probability. Okay. So, um, so is there, I think, so the inherent issue here is that each test you do, you can't really add them all together, right? Because they're in, sometimes they're inherently associated with each other, right? Yeah, I, so I, it's a lot of people, like it's intuitive that you could use these tests to, to essentially multiply probabilities. But the, the problem, and I, I, I walked, I think I walked Charlie through a, a scenario of, of why this doesn't work. But you're right, you're right. The, the fundamental problem is that it's, it's a myth that these things are independent of one another. And really, there's no kind of fundamental way to know how interrelated these things are, which is the, like, the too long didn't read answer. Likelihood ratios don't work this way, because when you're dealing with a condition, the tests are all going to be interrelated. And the way that I walked Charlie through it, I was like, well, imagine a situation where you have the heart failure case, and you're looking at two exam findings, and you're looking at, um, you're looking at a positive abdominal jugular reflex, and then a elevated jugular venous pulsation, or the, the JVP. And uh, think about what that data would look like. And you'd have a two-by-two two table of patients with heart failure, without heart failure, elevated JVP, without elevated JVP, and you did the same thing for the AJR. And you'd run through all of those numbers, and you'd get um, a likelihood ratio of, let's say, five. So correlating to roughly a 30% um, 30 uh, post-test probability increase. And then imagine, though, that you put all of those patients together and ran the same study, except now your two-by-two two table has both positive AJR and positive JVP instead of just one or the other. And imagine that you ran all those numbers through. And I think th this is a very obvious example because they both indirectly measure the central venous pressure. So you would imagine that the numbers would be very similar, right? If you, if you combine them together, your likelihood ratio is probably still going to be about five. Your sensitivity and specificity probably aren't going to change much. And the number, as it turns out, if you combine the two of those tests, it probably doesn't take, it's probably no better than any of those individual tests alone. And this is the problem with using these, like you can pretend maybe there are things that are independent. I've, I've heard people try to argue, well, like pulmonary erythema, uh, that's because in, in liver failure, that's because of hyperestrogenism. So that wouldn't be related to um, say ascites, which is because of portal hypertension. But we don't know that. It's not validated that way. And it puts us down this like really dangerous rabbit hole. Uh, it makes us overconfident in our tests if we try to like combine the uh, likelihood ratios in that fashion.
Okay, I think I understand that a lot more now. So I actually want to bring up one more tweet, if you don't mind. So Please. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring it up on screen here. So here in this tweet, it's from Dr. Richard Lehman. And people who don't know Dr. Richard Lehman, he's a fantastic GP doc in the UK. He used to write a blog like every week that went through all the literature about his musings and so forth until he retired. Oh, I, got, I don't know, maybe a couple years ago. Did you ever read his blog? No, I never read his blog. But anyhow, he's a super smart guy. And so he, he had something very similar, and, I, and you replied to it. I couldn't find the tweet, er, your tweet, your re responses earlier. But so here's what his tweet. Okay, here's a challenge for diagnostic test dweebs, which I guess is you. I know it's not me. I'm not a dweeb. So <laughs> it, it a swab, I guess he said, if a swab test has a, higher, uh, has a sensitivity of 70% for a single sampling, what percent of the true positives will be dictated by sampling on three separate occasions? You wanna you wanna respond? Well, so he he was making a, a point about how uh, prevalence has to play a factor in the test characteristics, and then I I made a point about a fundamental problem with with gold standards, um, and this is a problem that we see with lots of testing anyway. And do you want me to give you an example of, of what I used as an example? It's, it's relevant to COVID-19, but I used another example. Sure. I'd love to hear it. Okay. You, you ready to go down the rabbit hole with me? Coming down. Ready. How, Dr. Chu, how do you diagnose pneumonia? Oh, gosh. Um, gestalt. <laughs> no, that's good. I mean, that's the, that's the answer. Uh, but why is it, why is it gestalt? Gest, I, can, I can say this word, gestalt. Why is it just salt? Why don't well, we have a better test? So that's because, you know, through our training, uh, we learn all sorts of scripts in our mind. And we actually, we, we sort of um, envelop these algorithms that we think about in terms of we are, our, our brains are doing our own little likelihood ratios and, and things like that. Um, so, you know, a patient looks sick. I'm, you know, I see a little schmutz on the x-ray. You know, they have history of COPD. You know, all these little things start increasing my pretest probability and then therefore gives me a gestalt and overall. So a lot of times, you know, even before I do a test, you know, I'm, I may have a high pretest probability, which then my test will then help confirm what I hope, hopefully confirm what my gestalt shows. Have you ever read any of the um, sort of like the, the JAMA rational clinical exam article on how do you diagnose a pneumonia? Oh, I, I've read some of those series. I haven't read that one in particular. At least I don't remember what was in it. You wanna, do you want to enlighten me? Well, I mean, it's, they, what, they, what they do is they look at a bunch of different, not only diagnostic tests, but also uh, historical tests to try to, or historical like, features to try to come up with, a, with an algorithm that they can do to calculate a sensitivity and a specificity of a, um, uh, uh, of does this patient have pneumonia? So in, in the article and in all of these articles, whenever you're talking about this literature, they are evaluating a bunch of different exam findings, laboratory findings, and historical findings, and they're comparing them to the gold standard test, which if you read the JAM uh, Rational Clinical Exam article here, it's uh, a pneumonia scene, a consolidation scene on, on an x-ray. And, it's, and you get these very pretty numbers, these very pretty sensitivities and specificities. You have your gold standard test. But like you already said, you don't, it's not just a consolidation on an x-ray that is a pneumonia for you, right? It's a clinical diagnosis, a gestalt. Right, right, right. And this is where we really start to go down the rabbit hole. And I won't take you through the whole historical, uh, the whole historical piece, which is fascinating, but 
if you start to look at some of the literature on what's a consolidation, um, you, we have these measures of inter-observer reliability. So basically you take, in these studies, they usually take two different radiologists, they show them a bunch of different x-rays and they see how often they agree about different features. And when you look at pneumonia on chest imaging, uh, often the agreement is only fair, right? So like this gold, stand, gold standard test we have, experts in the field who are radiologists, mind you, not, not internists or emergency room doctors, but radiologists themselves only have fair agreement. So even in this idea of the gold standard, you already have a really wide error bars. And what, what worries me about like trainees and when people see these numbers is they are like, oh, these are really specific. This is science. This is the specificity. Specificity is 92%. But it's being compared to a standard that there is a lot of uncertainty about. And then you start to realize, well, this isn't just true for pneumonia. This is true for lots of different conditions. Uh, there's just our, our idea of a gold standard is... Um, it's a myth. I mean, in some situations, gold standards are better than others. So in a lot of cancers, uh, they're the gold. that's why we get pathology. Um, a gold standard is better. But even in, say, DCIS, there's some interesting data suggesting still only fair uh, for pathologists agreeing with the, uh, with the diagnosis. So this, this is kind of like I'm a... I, I'm a reformed Bayesian, right? <laughs> I, love, I love talking about test characteristics, but every time that I do, I, I understand that, like, really it's most useful to compare tests against one another, get a sense of, of what test is, is best to order. But just, I mean, and there, there's a deep philosophical level about nosology and, and what constitutes a diagnosis. But, like, without, with that, that's another Adam rant that would take forever. But, like, when you look at these numbers, you just have to understand they look precise, they look scientific. There, there's not. There's a lot of uncertainty, and and some things are more uncertain than not than others. But we should be humble about it, and it all ties back to the point that Dr. Lehman was making with uh, with these tests and COVID nineteen as well, right? These, there's a lot of uncertainty, and this like seventy two percent sensitivity number that uh, that gets thrown around a lot has a lot of uncertainty around it too. It was calculated on like six patients, so. Well, I think we need to wrap up. I appreciate you helping me dial down on these two, two tweets that I found interesting this week. Um, I just want to thank our viewers or my viewers. I don't know how many viewers I'm, we're going to have on this, but um, hopefully we'll have more. And I have lots of friends who I think will be willing to do this with me. So, um, Adam, thank you again for spending time with me. Anytime. All right. Bye. Cool.